Warning. The following broadcast is not approved by your teacher, university, politician, or government. Side effects may include skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, and an escape from the woke. Welcome to the show. I am your host, L.B. Muniz, and this is the Been Awake Podcast for Better Sense Making. You are within the sound of my voice. Welcome. Thanks for stopping by. Make sure that you get all the updates. I don't just do a podcast. This is live streaming on YouTube right now. I try to do that um, sometimes. Maybe I'll get better about it in the future. So, you know, we're live streaming on YouTube. But if you never wanted to miss anything that I produce, make sure you're subscribed at binawake.com. The Binawake Project for Better Sense Making is what we're trying to do. And before the one-year anniversary of the website of my first post, you can join the mission of better sense making and receive a lifetime discount of 50% off. That's my thank you for supporting me before this goes big. Well, I didn't end up doing an episode uh, last week uh, for a few reasons, mostly um, going out and having fun, frankly. And it's important. uh, It is important to have fun. And I'm happy to report that even a city like Chicago is back, baby. Um, the bars are packed. People are hanging out. Bad decisions are being made. <laughs> you know, living in a place like Chicago, the, the impression is always about how violent it is. And, and, and I wouldn't, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't an increase in violence. But if you recall, if you're a careful listener of the show, we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago, which is to say it's kind of inevitable that this summer 2021 is going to be more violent than, um, than, than, pre- than some previous summers on record, because in general, the level of viol- level of like petty violence and, 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 and so on increases when the temperature goes up, right? As temperatures get hotter, there tends, there's like a correlation there between levels of, of violence, right? Now, a lot of people are out there uh, getting in fights in the winter. We, we tend to want to stay at home during those months. So, you know, yeah, there is, there is an increase of violence. And if you look at the mainstream media, if you look at the corporate press, they're going to be talking about, <clears throat> they're going to be talking about all the violence. And so, you might get confused and think that it's in the entire city and it never is because violence is always highly localized. Now, again, people that I were hanging out with did, I actually do know a couple of guys that got mugged, which is a far departure from the Chicago that I'm used to growing up in, or at least, you know, living near, I guess would be the more, the more appropriate thing. But I wanted to start this week's episode. I've got three pieces that I wrote this week at beenawake.com. I also have a couple of tweet threads that I put out in regards to the developing situation in Cuba. Uh, If you didn't know, you will by the end of this episode. Certainly, I am a second-generation Cuban-American. My grandparents came over from Cuba. Uh, It's where I get the name Muniz from. So it's something very close to my heart. It's a huge reason why I am the person I am today. has a lot to do with my intellectual journey, but we're going to get into that. I want to start today's episode, though, by giving thanks and rejecting meaninglessness. Meaninglessness, that's a fun word to say. Um, so, you know, last week was actually my birthday week and I, um, maybe, maybe this is a guy thing, maybe it's a me thing. Um, you know, if you're an astrology fan, maybe it's a cancer thing. But my birthday was last week, July 15th, and I tend to get a little sour, not, not sour, dour would be the right word. I get a little, uh, uh, what up, rogue? Um, I, I tend to get a little, I, I get a little sad. 
or I, I, pensive, <laughs> all these different words when it's my birthday. Um, kind of taking a, taking a look at, you know, kind of where I am, where I want to be. So it's just kind of an inevitable thing. And um, it wasn't particularly interesting, but like last week I went on a date and it went better in my mind than it did in reality. And so that kind of had me down, right? So I, so I write at binawake.com, I wasn't in the best spirits yesterday. In fact, I felt pretty lousy. The reason why is not particularly interesting, but suffice to say, some days your humble author feels tired of existence. Last night, as I attempted to fall asleep, I was contemplating the purpose of my existence, and I felt the warm tendrils of nihilism reaching from the deep abyss within one's mind to pull me deeper. In the moment, my own advice was put squarely in my face. I'd be lying if I said that my words, the advice that I give myself and to other people, gave me any comfort, but then I did have a good night's sleep. I'm flying for work today. I wrote this, I actually wrote this piece at the airport. I'm flying for work. Nothing particularly interesting about that, except to note that there are a lot more of us cheating with the mask mandates than there used to be. I had a few experiences that morning that reminded me that, it, that the case for nihilism or the black pill is very boring. It's a very boring mode of thinking to trap yourself in. Now, as a quick aside, I did put a poll out on Twitter where people, where I asked, is the black pill synonymous with nihilism? I would have said yes beforehand, but people actually gave some pretty good reasoning as to why they are not synonymous, although there is correlation between the terms. But it's a, it's a trap. It's a mind trap that you will put yourself in. I was also reminded of why it is good to give thanks. I'm not particularly concerned with whether you're thanking Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, or the universe, right? Because like the universe is kind of this modern word we use to not, to say, to not say God. The mindset with which you approach a situation will affect your reality. I was packing away my hard hat this mor uh, th that morning and making sure my travel bag was in order at the offsite parking garage close to O'Hare. It's a pretty nice system, by the way. If you've never tried one of these things, you park in their garage, they drop you off at your gate, and then they pick you up on your return. Often it's cheaper and far more convenient than taking a rideshare or a taxi to and from the airport. While I was packing, only halfway into my iced coffee, I decided it would be a great idea to lock the doors of my car and put my key inside of my travel bag, which was sitting in the back seat. I think, <laughs> I think you can see where this is going next. I realized that I needed something from the front seat, which was a micro US, which was a USB-C cable so I could use the Android Auto when I got to my destination. And so before my mind even processed what my body was doing, I had closed the back door shut and locked my keys and my bag inside of my car. I was about to leave for a two-day trip. I'm about, you know, just on time for the airport. And I did this. It's okay, I thought. There's a Ford app that lets me remotely unlock my car in precisely this kind of situation. Not so much because I had been signed out of the app. So that's when I started to panic. The last call I wanted to make was to my boss explaining not only that I missed a flight, but that I had done so for the absolute dumbest of reasons. In fact, I actually, I had my ID in my pocket um, at the time. So I had my driver's license in my pocket. I had pulled it out of my wallet because, you know, you can't have things in your pockets when you go through security because government. So I had my, so I even had the thought of like, maybe I just go to Nebraska with no bag. It would have meant leaving my laptop behind though. So that wasn't really a good, uh, that wasn't really a good solution for the problem that I faced. I searched for alternative flights as I waited for the elevator to go downstairs. I needed to confirm that the garage would let in AAA before I bothered to call them. 
There were no other morning flights left to my destination, which was rural Nebraska. So I was going to have to rely on AAA being timely, which, if you know anything about AAA, didn't bode well for me. It appeared that I was, well, screwed. Then a tiny miracle happened. One of the employees at the parking garage had the exact same door opening kit that the AAA employee would have, and he said he could open my door free of charge. What was almost a monstrously disastrous and professionally embarrassing moment for me ended up being a funny story where everything worked out in the end. If I had let myself still feel bad for what had happened to me a couple of days before, if I had let myself wallow in the meaningless and in the, in, in the supposed meaninglessness of existence, if I had let nihilism, and this is a decision I made long ago, right, was to reject nihilism. But in the moments when you're feeling down, when you're feeling, when you're feeling like the world is against you and there's no hope for the future, and, and we all get this way, I, I, or at least I do, I certainly have my ebbs and flows of personality where I'm highly motivated, highly energetic, highly entertaining. And I have moments where I'm just sullen and reserved and removed from the people that I spend time around and people that I care about. This is just part of being human. You see, at the end of the day, I believe it's a choice. I believe it's a choice, whether it's kind of like uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, where, he, where you have to invite Dracula across your threshold. You have to invite nihilism across your threshold. You have to give in to something like that, the meaninglessness of existence. By the way, even if there is no intrinsic meaning, like the, like the Christians or others would argue, it doesn't mean you can't find purpose or you can't create your own meaning. That's the existentialist response. And, that's, and that tends to be what I believe. If I had let myself wallow when I locked my keys in the car and allowed the mantra of nothing matters to win in my mind, that day could have cascaded into a fiasco of my own creation. Instead, I chose to do what I needed to do to get things done. Give thanks for where you are because it could be worse and don't remember ni- and don't forget that nihilism is boring. I don't I have never understood in my in my study of philosophy and my study of ideas I have never understood why people would, would, would devote so much time to meaninglessness. There's a historical case to be made for some nihilist thinkers just like there's a historical case to be made for uh, anarchist thinkers like Emma Goldman, right? People exist within history. They don't exist ex parte. They don't exist outside of history. We are, we are limited creatures, and so we only have limited knowledge that's largely a product of the age that we live in. I don't know. This is just a fun little piece. Uh, and that, that's, a, that's a very true story of exactly what happened to me. And it just it did remind me to just kind of give thanks for the little things and be happy when things go your way because it's very easy to think that nothing's going your way. And, and, and that has a compounding effect, right? I, I talked about, I've talked about this recently elsewhere, but um, I've talked about this recently elsewhere, but there's this, there's this problem with walking into a situation thinking you already know the outcome. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm guilty of this myself. I'm, I'm something that I'm kind of working on as it relates to like when I hang out with, uh, with, with groups of people now where you kind of, you take your conclusion for granted and you just assume that it's going to go exactly the way you want. So in, in some instances, right? Like I could have thought, well, you know, my life is, my life is ruined. Right. And then I wouldn't have bothered to go downstairs. I would have sat in my car and probably waited for a few hours and, 
switched my flight to the 4 p.m. flight and then just kind of maybe hung out, gone to, gone to the office, taken my licks for missing a flight, which is just something you don't do as a professional. But it does happen. I could have done that. And instead, I decided to try and get something done. And thankfully, there was a man who was able to help me out and get, have me get my bag and my keys and get me to the airport on time. So just a little piece for you. I really do reject nihilism. I think it's, um, I think it's a worthless idea, set of ideas. Um, I think that even if you are creating, I, I think creating meaning for yourself does not equal nihilism. I'd be happy to defend that in a more philosophical debate if people were interested. But my shorthand for it and for you is that nihilism is boring. So I, uh, I did actually, so one of the reasons why I didn't do a show last week is because I went on a couple of people's shows. I, there was actually three episodes, I think, or no, two episodes that were released, one that was released this week. Um, so I did create a little page for that that I wanted to let everybody know. If you go to binawake.com slash appearances, it's going to redirect to this, uh, to this post where I just kind of have a list and my thoughts on other people's shows that I've been on. Um, some of these might make it onto the podcast feed. A lot of them won't. But if you save the address, you can kind of keep coming back to this page and I'm going to work to keep it work to keep it updated. So just want to shout out a few of these episodes that I've been on, um, you know, starting from the, the first person. The first show that ever had me on was Tower Power Hour. Love those guys. Um, then, I, you know, I got my appearances with James Gentleman on here. I did an appearance on Jeremiah Talks where we examined Christian wealth building power um, basically my, which was talking about my don't be poor piece. Right. And it was interesting. Yeah. You know, rogue, rogue Liberty, who I was on his show too recently was fun. He just put into the comments that sometimes it's best to take a breath and think to yourself, well, I remember this problem in two years time. Um, I probably will remember that date because, uh, it was, I thought it was a good one, but there that's, that is really important to, to not, uh, to not let yourself again, be swallowed by that nihilistic tendency. But so Jeremiah and I had mixed it up over my Don't Be Poor article defending Matt Erickson uh, and that libertarians should want to make as much money as they can. My article was focused more on the libertarian case. Uh, he wanted to have more of a theological discussion. We, I tried to do that with theology. I wouldn't, I wouldn't pretend to think that theology is my strong suit, right? I'm a philosopher. I view philosophy as the counter melody to religion. Um, so that's kind of the vein that I approach situations in. Uh, also, again, episode 40 of Blackbird Podcast with James. Uh, where I'm actually going to sit down with him again this week and, and, and a very special guest, which should be very, very fun. And then I have Rogue Liberty Pods, episode 12 with David Friedman, which was kind of just like popping in because he needed somebody to come on. And I got to talk to Milton Friedman's son. And that's a cool thing. You know, in, in libertarian circles, there tends to be, you know, there are all these various camps. And one of the main camps is the Austrian and the Chicago school. But I will say Milton Friedman, I, you know, driving around Chicago, making deliveries, and listening to Milton Friedman's lectures was, was one of the ways in which I was introduced to libertarian ideas. Um, the first one, as I've written about my first red pill, was, was reading Road to Serfdom. But I'm, I'm a fan of Milton Friedman. I think he got a lot right. He did some things wrong. Um, but that doesn't mean he isn't an important figure. And, I, you know, and there was a joy in that, of being able to kind of talk to David Friedman. I got to pick his brain as it related to... Um, as it related to writing fiction versus nonfiction, some of the trends that he sees. And it was a completely unexpected and spontaneous interaction that I had. So again, just another example why you should just keep yourself open for opportunity and not let yourself fall into something like nihilism. Um, I also went on, and this was actually just released this past week, 
Uh, I went on Rebel with a Cause with Eric Haler. Sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, buddy. With, and where which he entitled Philosophy Hooligans. And that was another one where we just kind of like, hey, we popped in. We just started recording. It was kind of fun because we didn't really do. Usually we do some like pre-show banter, some pre-show talk of like that. But no, it was kind of he sent me it and we just started going. And I think it was a good talk. We talked a little bit about Cuba, which we're going to talk about here. And, um, you know, just also some personal stories as well. So I highly recommend you guys check out all of those shows. The next thing I have up here in the um, in the docket of things to talk about was this video that I retweeted last week. And before we get into the Cuba situation, I think it's worthwhile to remind ourselves of where the cathedral, where the U.S. establishment is at and the message that they are releasing to the American people. I'm fond of saying that I view Joe Biden as the clip show president. If you know what a clip show is in sitcom talk, it's, you know, basically you take a bunch of the funny scenes and past episodes and you turn it into your own episode. Usually it's kind of a reminiscent thing where they're where the characters are thinking about things that have happened to them in the past. I view Joe Biden as a clip show president. Why? Well, because he's senile for one. He's a 79 year old man who can barely walk. But secondly, because he is effectively effectively what he does from an influence and a propaganda standpoint is he is trying to capture every piece of American propaganda over the last 50 years or 100 years, if you will, and push it to keep influencing and controlling the American population. So with that context, let's listen to Joe Biden. On the line, honor your trust with trust. So hear me clearly. There's an unfolding assault taking place in America today, an attempt to suppress and subvert the right to vote and fair and free elections, an assault on democracy, an assault on liberty, an assault on who we are, who we are as Americans. For make no mistake, bullies and merchants of fear, peddlers of lies are threatening the very foundation of our country. It gives me no pleasure to say this. I never thought in my entire career I'd ever have to say it. But I swore an oath to you, to God, to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. And that's an oath that forms a sacred trust to defend America against all threats, both foreign and domestic. assault on free and fair elections is just such a threat, literally. I've said it before. We're facing the most significant test of our democracy since the Civil War. That's not hyperbole. Since the Civil War. The Confederates back then never breached the Capitol as insurrectionists did on January the 6th. I've yet to have a conversation with somebody, like a real conversation with somebody who treats the claims of January 6th as being an insurrection. I'm not sure what kind of a conversation can really be had with that kind of person. What I endeavor to show you when I play clips like this and when I talk about things on my show is the way in which these words are being used to control the population. 
the way in which these words are used to manipulate reality for the benefit of powerful people. There are these little glimmers of what the world to come is. And I think, unfortunately, right, this isn't, this isn't, I don't say this with any joy. I think that this, this is where we're heading. We're heading, what, what Joe Biden is actually talking about are states like Georgia and Texas passing new voting laws. And I, and I covered the Georgia ones in particular on this show. I haven't really looked into the Texas ones because, well, frankly, voting rights aren't that interesting to me. I think most of the time what you see people implement are basic voter ID laws, which you have to show an ID to do literally anything in this country. So it bears no relevance to me whether people should show, show an ID before they should vote. But what it does is it relies on it relies on the stories you were told in your youth of the bad days of America. In 2016, when Donald Trump was elected and the corporate press couldn't believe what they had done because they were the ones who elevated Donald Trump at the behest of the Clinton campaign, what did they say? They didn't come to terms with what people were responding to in Trump's rhetoric, even though some of it was bad. No. That, that, that's not what people in power do. What the people who are in power do is maintain and further their power and influence. So what did they say? They said it was the fault of Russia. Why did they choose Russia? Well, I think in part because the U.S. government spent 50 years after World War II propagandizing people against the Russian government. With some exception, there was still... Uh, there were still many elements within the U.S. government and the broader U.S. society who were supportive of the communist regime. But Russia was created to be the enemy. And it was always obvious to me that part of the Russian narrative is about that latent propaganda that still exists within people's minds. You know, people over a certain age who are more likely to watch cable news, those types of people are going to respond to that red scare mentality because it's what they grew up with. And it is in that way that I believe Joe Biden is a clip show president. This is kind of, this is actually, this, so this gets more to the idea of the episode. This next tweet that I have pulled up on the screen in front of me. And it was my response to the Libertarian Party tweeting out the following. Critical race theory is one of those distracting sideshow issues that Republicans and Democrats loved. It's designed to make you fight over which side gets to indoctrinate your children, Instead, we should be fighting to get government out of education completely. Now, I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago saying that, you know, you're, here are your marching orders for CRT, and I kind of make the point that they're trying to drive at here. But I wouldn't for a second say this, what the Libertarian Party did. So here is my response. If the main stage is about getting government out of school completely, why is the sideshow getting more attention? Absent abolition of government schools, it seems fairly obvious that libertarians should oppose the broader field of critical theory being made canon in government school. It seems fairly obvious in that the roots of critical theory, broadly speaking, are opposed to the social order libertarians would prefer. See, this is one of those sterile ideas, right? So like sterility, part of being sterile is that you can't reproduce. So a sterile thought bears no fruit. It's kind of a sterile idea to say 
I, and then, you know, this is, this is an argument that I would have agreed with a few years ago. And I still do it. I'm sorry, kind of hitting my mic hard. I still do agree. I still do agree with the principle, right? The principle should be getting government out of schooling. But absent that being a re, an, an, an actual possibility, how do we react? See, when you're building the ideal situation in your mind, which is kind of what this tweet from the Libertarian Party does, you are ignoring the reality on the ground. Fighting against things like critical theory is exactly why I started this space. It has to do with the name. And you notice I don't, my, the name of my website isn't antiwoke.com. It's been awake. Because in my mind, it's not just about opposing, it's about presenting the alternative, which, in, you know, to be quick, would be individualism on, as, as I define it and as I talk about it and the application of skepticism, which is my broader school of thought. It's not enough to simply say, I have the best position and nobody else, nobody else is getting it right. Especially if you're trying to influence people. It's a sterile idea and it needs to go away. Again, you can make the case that governments shouldn't be involved in schooling, and I would agree with you. But in the particular context of talking about critical race theory being taught, being turned into dogma, the same way in which, by the way, labor dogma is taught in high schools, and I oppose that. Yeah, great. It would be awesome. It would be awesome if the government stopped, stopped supporting schools. But guess what? You still get the same, you still buy the same textbook when you go to, when you go to a private school. See, we have alternatives right now, but the ultimate people in charge, the ones who determine whether your school is accredited, which is the only way in which you can gain the credential that, that, that will help you get ahead, that will help you, you know, basically establish for yourself like, oh, I've done this. And these things are crumbling. They are changing, but that doesn't, that doesn't take away from what most people have to go through. You still get a labor-centered view of history. You still get uh, a his you still get history textbooks that don't properly talk about the evils of communism. These things are inescapable. And so that's what I mean when I say sterile ideas bear no, bear no fruit. So this past week, if you didn't know, there was uh, last Sunday, there were, there were massive protests in Cuba. And as far as I know, the island is still without power in many places. The government shut off electricity and the government has shut off access to the internet. And they're, you know, they're cracking down on VPNs, which, you know, I don't have this tweet pulled up, but I did put it out. It's, it's worth us pondering. It's worth us sitting and really thinking about the fact that in a country like Cuba, the government shuts down the Internet when people protest. But, but in America, we can post whatever we want on Twitter. It's a reminder of how free we are as a country compared to other places. I, I, I'll talk about let's just read. Let's read through this thread and then we'll kind of go through it. So regarding a free Cuba, I don't know what regime change looks like in a foreign country without U.S. involvement. And the last time they tried, the last time the U.S. government tried regime change in Cuba, we got the bastard Fidel. A free Cuba is a dream I've had since before I could walk. The Cuban exile is the story of my family and many others. Carrying that torch is always present on my mind. Not growing up in Miami, I recognize that most Americans don't know shit about Cuba or Cubans. The vast majority of Cubans who valued freedom were chased from the island by the bastard Fidel. There have now been at least two generations who have lived under communism 
and the corresponding cultural influences and implications. It would be my hope that the people will throw off the vestiges of socialism and embrace liberty in a real way. But how does that happen today? This circles back to my initial question. What does regime change without U.S. meddling actually look like? This, my words here are not supposed to fill you with certainty. It's supposed to point out the ambiguity of the situation. I wasn't born in Cuba. I've never visited. But the music, the food, the stories, they are a part of my upbringing. And I want more for the people left there. I hope they take it. But I'm not going to indulge my baser urges and cry for blood. That serves nothing. So I also wrote a piece kind of expounding upon that. Nobody in America really knows anything about Cuba. Growing up, I can't tell you how many times I would get asked if I speak Cuban. Nobody speaks Cuban. They speak Spanish. For it being so close to the United States, the average person has almost no knowledge of the country's history nor the current state of affairs. If you're an average American, what you might know about Cuba are the old cars. The cities on the island are filled with automobiles from the mid-20th century in excellent condition. Tourists will go to the main drag in Havana and take perfect pictures for the gram. For the people of Cuba, this represents a matter, matter of pride as well as a way to earn some kind of income. Because in, it's almost impossible to earn a good income in Cuba. For the tourist, it evokes a sense of nostalgia, but that nostalgia is based in ignorance. The reason why the island of Cuba mostly has cars from the 50s and 60s is not because it's cool, it's because they are poor. Far too poor for the 21st century. This is a result of the communist read socialist regime. You know, I didn't, I didn't include this in the piece, but there was a story a couple of years ago. You can Google this and find it, maybe. If not, try DuckDuckGo. But there was a story out of Cuba that cab drivers made more money than doctors. Why? Because the cab drivers were the ones working with tourists, and tourists want to tip in cash, especially American tourists. This was around the time that Obama relaxed travel restrictions between the island nation and us here in America. So the doctors, because it, was a comp, because it was completely controlled by the communist regime, and just as a matter of fact, there is no good medical care in Cuba, not if you're in the country, not if you're not part of the party. I know this firsthand from stories from my family. Since I was a little kid, I remember, this is a very distinct memory I had, but I had a, um, a great uncle go back to Cuba in the you know, mid-2000s. And I was in high school at the time, and it was right around it was right around the time that Michael Moore's sicko documentary came out. So this was before the passing of the American or the Affordable Care Act. Michael Moore's documentary came out, and he praised the Cuba regime, and we had to watch that in class. We had to watch that in class with a teacher saying that, "Oh, you know, you should take a look at this because this is some good information." It was a lie. It was a Potemkin village. If you don't know what that is, Google it. What's, what was particularly striking for me is one day I'm sitting in class watching this dumb movie, and then the next day I'm looking at pictures of pharmacies in Cuba. I'm, I'm looking at the pictures of pharmacies where the medicine is supposed to be, and you know what those shelves were? They were bare. We don't understand in America the level of poverty that the people of Cuba live through. We don't understand the level of poverty that most people in the world live to. If you've ever read The Hunger Games, the United States is District 1. 
We are the people stuffing our faces and then throwing up so we can eat more. And we dare say that we're oppressed. And we dare say that we're oppressed. So here are some facts as best as I can tell. Sunday in Cuba, people began demonstrating against the government in very large numbers. They can be heard in videos chanting phrases like no tenemos medio, we are not afraid, y patria y vida, homeland and life, country and life. A direct repudiation of the communist phrase patria o muerte, which was the cry of Fidel Castro, patria o muerte. You, are, you fight for the homeland, you fight for, com- and the homeland is communism, by the way. You fight for communism or you get death. That was this, that's the story of Cuba from 70 years ago. Patria muerte. Subsequently, the communist regime has and will continue to crack down on the people. I've heard from personal accounts that police are roaming around looking for anybody outside of their homes. Meanwhile, the Wall Street Journal reports that Cuba's communist government intensified its crackdowns against demonstrators and activists on Monday, deploying security forces across the country and arresting at least 80 people many of whose whereabouts are still unknown, activists said. They're likely dead. People just disappear in Cuba. That's the kind of country it is. You know, here in America, you can go and you can contribute to a bail fund that lets rapists out of jail. Not that they're in for jail, not that they're in jail for that, they're in jail for protesting, but they were convicted rapists. That's the kind of country this in a country like Cuba, your friend disappears and you don't know whether they got a bullet in the head or they're sitting in a dark hole. I've seen reports now that it's well over 150, almost 200 people missing in regards to these protests. This means that they are beaten or even worse by government agents. I watched a video. I tried looking for it because I have a great piece coming out tomorrow. So make sure you're subscribed to binawake.com so that you get that in your email inbox. I have a great piece coming out tomorrow, and, I, and I, I needed to look for some of the horrible things that I've seen this week on, um, on Instagram and Twitter, you know, reposts from uh, uh, social media platforms like TikTok. And I, and I couldn't find it, and I'm kind of glad I didn't because I don't like watching um, really dark things. I, don't like, I, I try not to let that into my, um, into my psyche, but you have to sometimes, and this is one of those instances. I watched a video of a 13-year-old be shot by the police. You think there's gun ownership in Cuba? You think there's any risk of the people shooting back? Not, not, not right now. The government confiscated all those weapons 70 years ago. The people live in poverty. There's no, <laughs> but I watched a video of a young black man, unarmed black man shot by the Cuban police. Where's the outcry from Black Lives Matter? If you're wondering, you should make sure you're subscribed because that's tomorrow's post. I'm recording this and I'll release this on 718, by the way. Here's the thing. Why are you paying attention to this story? It could be that this is a change in the direction of a country my grandparents and so many Cuban exiles wanted. It could be that this is the change that we've been waiting for as Cuban exiles, but I'm not so sure. Most of what the average American knows about Cuba is a lie, and this includes many who travel to the country. Movies like Michael Moore's Sicko painted the picture of a country with wonderful medical care. This is a lie. Sure, you can receive passing, you can receive passing medical care if you're a concerned party member or connected party member. For the vast majority of the population, especially those in rural areas, there is no 21st century medicine available. Part of the reason for this is the lack, the main reason for this is the lack of any real economy in Cuba. 
as one of the few remaining regimes that practice the failed ideals of communism, the government has complete control over all economic activity. You know, they can't go fishing. You can't just go fish off the coast in the ocean if you're a Cuban citizen. The government controls that. The rest of the developed world is struggling with massive shortages. There are labor shortages, material shortages, consumer shortages, and so on. Even without, the, even without the crushing economic embargo the U.S. imposes against the island, the regime of Cuba would still have the same issues that they are seeing now. See, we are seeing, let me, let me reiterate this point so it sticks. We're seeing shortages across the economy here in the United States. If you're not, if you, and, that's, and, and we're also seeing rising inflation as a result of all the money printing. Not a great economic condition, but we are so wealthy in the developed world that thankfully most of us still have a job who want one. Most of us still can put food on the table. Most of us can still live at relatively close to the standard of living that we have been in the, in the recent past. When these kinds of shortages in the global economy hit a place like Cuba, it is far worse because they don't have the level of wealth that we do. The corporate press and Twitter are lying when they say that this has to do with a lack of access to the vaccines for COVID-19. Let me ask you this question to illuminate the point. Would you care about getting shot, about getting a shot if you were on the verge of starvation? I didn't think so. If you travel in rural America like I do, you will find empty shelves in gas stations and Walmarts. This is a shocking thing to see as an American, but for a Cuban, Empty shelves is what they know. There's a beautiful video, if you go and look for it, of a man who just got from Cuba and he walks into a supermarket and he sees all the food and he starts crying because he's never seen anything like that. This is real, man. This is like, it's, it's the same thing with North Korea. This is just particularly, there is an emotional connection here for me. If we have issues getting our favorite brand of coffee in America, which I did recently, Imagine how much worse it is in the island nation. The last time the U.S. tried regime change, we ended up with the bastard Fidel. I've been trying to answer for myself, as my tweet thread alluded to, what does regime change look like in a world without the American government at the center of it? Certainly, I can't think of one in the 21st century that didn't have the fingerprints of at least covert elements of the CIA, if not overt support of the federal government. I want the people of Cuba to be free. I want the island to be rich and the people prosperous. I want to be able to walk where my grandparents grew up. And I do look forward to spitting on Fidel's grave. I will do what I can for the people of Cuba. Part of that is writing and talking about it. But they are the ones who must free themselves. It can't be the U.S. government or things will get worse. If you're interested in ways of subverting the regime, you should share the song Patria y Vida by Utel, Gente de Zona, uh, Des Desemer Bueno y Michael. These are Cuban artists who live in exile, who wrote a beautiful song with English subtitles on the YouTube video that, you know, talk about the cries for freedom. Uh, Rogue, you're saying that you're struggling to find videos of what's happening in Cuba. I don't like watching dark things, but I feel it's something we have to expose ourselves. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it is worth exposing yourselves. Um, there is a great person to follow, and this is definitely something that I should shout out is, um, oh gosh, why can't I remember her name right now? This is going to bug me. 
Uh, I have to look this up. <laughs> um, what is her name? I just retweeted her. But there is a... Darn it. All right. Sorry, this isn't, this isn't going to make for good podcasting, but it is part of live streaming. We're just going to take a quick scroll down my Twitter timeline. I'm going to walk you through it until I find that darn tweet. Ah, Yoni Sanchez. Uh, Yoni Sanchez is a great person to follow. She is a Cuban journalist living in Cuba. Um, uh, Yoni Sanchez. So this is her profile. You can find her stuff on my um, on my profile. But she's a good she's a good place to start. And then I can also I'm trying to find I'm trying I'm personally trying to find more sources um, that are that are putting out the stuff. I also just have a lot of friends who live in Miami. So if you kind of look for stuff happening out of Miami is where you're going to see a lot of these reposts on TikTok and Instagram. So that's what I would recommend if you're looking for more of this kind of stuff, because it is difficult. And there aren't a lot of mainstream sources covering it, which is why I'm trying to at least bring light to it uh, in, in the small way that I can. So let's go through. Um, so, so there's so one person in particular who got some heat on Twitter is Martha Bueno in Miami. She is running for office as a libertarian. Um, and she has kind of been, well, you know, she's been a Cuban about this whole situation. Again, I want to reiterate the point of like, I, I normally consider myself somebody who's very detached. And I try to, I try to keep a, as, as close to an objective lens over situations as I can. But I would be lying. I would be lying if I said I could maintain, maintain that kind of objective, objectivity when it comes to, um, when, when it comes to uh, Cuba. Here's a story from my past. There was a guy in high school who, you know, they're trying to get a rise out of me. And I've written about how I used to be a pretty good mark for trolls. And I've, you know, I've learned from that. But there was this one guy in particular who, you know, started like mocking me about the Cuba situation and being Cuban. He's like, oh, but, you know, I was just talking to my buddy Fidel and he said everything is good. And I got in the guy's face. I'm not usually a violent person, but I had my throat around his neck and I pushed him up against the lockers. And I was like, what did you say? And he said, well, well, you know, that's my, uh, that I don't, my buddy Fidel, he's uh, he's an ice cream man. Again, this was a stupid thing, but I'm trying to draw the point that when you're close to these kinds of situations, it can be difficult for you to maintain some kind of objectivity. And Twitter is the point. The, the point of Twitter is constant in-group signaling that the out-group sees. Moreover, if you choose ignorance, you can ascribe whatever context you wish. And this is where I got the idea of sterile ideas bearing no fruit. Is this um, is this tw Twitter thread that I have pulled up in front of me? So Martha tweets, if you think what's happening in Cuba is because the USA has an embargo, I kindly ask that you inform yourself. Cuba is able to trade freely with many countries, including the USA. The embargo prohibits the US from extending credit to Cuba. So this is a very technical argument about exactly what is part of the trade embargo, which isn't as much as you might think. Somebody decided to quote tweet her and say, interesting take from someone who claims the libertarian title. Sure, what's happening there isn't solely caused by the embargo, but it harms people more than the government and has allowed the regime to maintain a chokehold on technology and information. That's just not true. We trade with countries like China quite openly. Tell me, do they have a free and fair, do they have free and open information? We have completely normalized relations with China. In fact, most of our stuff comes from there. They're a communist regime that just celebrated 100 years. This is why these ideas are sterile, by the way. It's not that they are invalid. It's not that they don't have a point. It's that they bear no fruit. 
it stops your thinking because it borders on dogmatism. See, the dogmatic point of view is like, well, embargoes are bad. So embargoes are the reason for the issue. And, and look, I, I support releasing the embargoes of Cuba. That doesn't make them a rich country overnight. It won't. It can't. People are, but, and I get that people are ignorant about a situation. And in fact, this is a great reminder of the ignorance that you can, that, that, that you can have as an individual. There's nothing wrong with being ignorant. There's a wrong, what's wrong is choosing ignorance. What's wrong, what's, what, well, well, sorry, let me, be, let me be precise. What's wrong is choosing ignorance and still thinking your opinion matters. If you choose ignorance, I have no issues with you. Ignorance is bliss. Please live a beautiful life. But if you are going to enter into a space where knowledge is important, where context matters, then you best do the best you can to find things. And you should be open to people when they try to correct you. Americans don't give a shit about Cuba, but exiled Cubans do. We know a little bit about the situation. And a beautiful white pill for me is actually how um, even, even lefty Cubans, because there are, by the way, there are segments, especially millennials and Gen Zs who are raised in this country that they consider themselves progressive. They consider themselves liberal. They consider themselves people of the left. They see through the bullshit just, they see through the bullshit because they understand the suffering of the people they still know in Cuba. So don't come at me with sterile ideas or fine. Come at me with sterile ideas because I'm going to combat them. I understand the point and I agree with the point that economic embargoes are not a good foreign policy that doesn't fix things for the people of Cuba. You know, one thing that I realized in the, uh, in the aftermath of, um, <laughs> one thing I realized in the aftermath of this, uh, of this situation is that I don't know, uh, I don't know this, the, the history of Cuba as well as I thought, because I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to put things out there as best I can. And I don't feel as I'm, I'm, I'm as good as I could be in, in talking about the history of Cuba. Dave Smith put out a podcast where he tried to talk about it and he got some things wrong. But, you know, Cuba is, is very close to America. Like just geographically considering. I, but I was raised with the stories. My point, I was raised with the stories of what happened when people left. And that's what I endeavor to talk about. Um, there is a great movie, though, if you want it. And I just wanted to make sure there's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, if you wanted a dramatization, of what it was like during the revolution, I'd highly recommend. And that movie is called The Lost City. It's from 2005. So it's a little bit on the long side, but it, it was well done and it takes the proper tone against communism. So I'd recommend that if you, if you haven't, uh, if you want to know what the revolution of Cuba was like, that would, that would be where I'd start. I find it, kind of in closing here, I find it difficult sometimes to, I find myself in a unique position. I find myself in a unique position in these situations where things seem so clear to me, but obvious, but to other people, it, it doesn't appear that way. I don't know if that makes me special or if it makes me crazy, but it's kind of been that way my whole life. Um, I said on Rebel with a Cause, I said on the podcast that I did with Eric uh, that if I hadn't 
if, if the circumstances of my birth wasn't that my grandparents were refugees from Cuba, I would have likely become a very good Marxist professor, a very, very good one, <laughs> which isn't like, which, which is kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting, it's an interesting thing to try and work through. I've talked before about the paradox of my existence. You might notice I like the word paradox. Part of it is because I think my existence is a paradox. Why? Because if the world that I envisioned, if the history that I wanted to have happen had occurred, I never would exist. See, my mom married a gringo. My mom married an American. So if my grandparents hadn't come from Cuba and my mom hadn't been born here, she wouldn't have married my dad and I wouldn't exist. It's a weird thing to contend with. And I think a lot of the children and grandchildren of, of refugees have similar stories. It's a weird thing to think about that I would have never existed if it wasn't for communism. And yet I fight against communism with everything that I have. Sometimes in life, there really aren't good answers for things. Sometimes it's worth just pondering and questioning. And sometimes it's worth going through the motions and making sure that you understand just exactly what's going on. So if you want to choose ignorance, that by all means, but if you want to understand the world better, if you want to engage in better sense making, then I hope you join me at beenawake.com. Subscribe with your email address and together we can bring better sense making to the world. like what you heard today, go to inawake.com to subscribe for future updates. My name is LB Muniz, and I am not one with the woke.